0: This morning we're going to be reading out of Daniel chapter 4. It is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar when God in judgment and God in discipline brought some difficulty into Nebuchadnezzar's life. The whole purpose was that he might come to the realization that we read at the very end. So let's begin reading in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 28. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I like their translation of this particular passage. All these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, that's twelve months after the prophecy and dream that Daniel would speak to him. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And then the knock came. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time or seven years will pass while you live in this way until you learn that the most high ruler over the kingdom of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. I'm sorry, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of the heavens. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar praises God. After this time had passed, Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. As I was thinking about that message in this week, I was thinking about something that I really enjoy. If you know me, you know that I love science fiction. I love to read science fiction, I love to watch science fiction. It is, one, it is that type of movie that Cindy and I bear, uh, rarely get to enjoy together. But I greatly enjoy it. What is really special is when a movie will combine science fiction with theology. Now, that's a very rare bird. But when it happens, I find myself particularly enjoying those movies or those books. One of those movies was actually produced right here in Bucks County. It was the movie Signs with Mel Gibson. And if you've seen the movie, you understand and you know the movie is about a former pastor who has lost his faith as a result of a tragic accident with his wife. In the movie, as it is going through the events, there is one point where this former pastor is remembering the very last words of his wife as she is dying after being crushed by, in an auto accident. And in that interaction, this wife puts forth her final requests of her husband. And she says two very strange things. The first one is she says, See. See. And then she says, And tell my brother, tell Merle, swing away. Swing away. Now when you're watching the movie and you comes to that scene you're not quite sure all that is going on but that scene is absolutely essential to understanding the movie and to understanding what we're going to be looking at this morning now, as you watch the movie, you understand that this former pastor lives with his two children and his brother-in-law. And like most families, every one of them has some kind of foible. The daughter has a phobia against drinking water with dust in it. And so as a result, she sees dust in every glass and ends up putting these glasses of nearly full Water all throughout the house. And if you walk into the house and they show a scene of the house, there are these water glasses just everywhere. The second struggle is with his son. He has asthma. And there are times that that asthma just significantly restricts his breathing and inability to take air in and particularly breathe air out. The brother-in-law is sort of a washed-up home run hitter that never made it in baseball because he didn't know how to be strategic. And every time he got up to hit a ball, he just tried to hit it as hard as he could. And he was a home run hitter, but struck out so many more times. And as the movie is going along, you begin to understand something weird is happening. And what the weird thing is, and this is the sci-fi part, there's an alien invasion taking place. Find that in theology. And in the middle of all of these strange and amazing events that are happening around them, the two adult characters begin a discussion. And the former pastor gives us the entire theme of the movie. Now, I would love to show the clip, but because we're on Facebook, Facebook restricts us in ways they shouldn't, but we're not allowed to without them cutting us off. So I'll read it for you. They're sitting on the sofa, these two adult men, and they begin, and the pastor says this. People break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group one sees it as more than luck. More than coincidence. They see it as a sign. Evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck. Just a happy turn of choice. For them, the situation is 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens... They're on their own. And that fills them with fear. Yeah, there are two groups. But there's a whole lot of people in group number one. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there will be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. See, what you have to ask yourself is what kind of people are you? Are you the kind that sees signs? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible there are no coincidences? Now, as you continue through in the movie, you understand that that is the primary theme. And the movie takes the position that there is no just luck. No one is just lucky. That all of us are part of a purpose and a plan that is being worked out. Now, I am solidly in group one, and it's because of my theology. I don't know what the theology of M. Night Shyamalan is, But I know that what the movie is declaring is that in all that takes place in our lives, both what we consider good and that which we consider tragic and painful and overwhelming, all of it has purpose and has meaning. And the reason why I am part of group one is because of the two topics that we're going to look at this morning. The two attributes that we combine together because they go together. And those two attributes are God's sovereignty, meaning that he is the ruler over all, and that he is working everything according to his purpose and plan. And God's providence, how he accomplishes what he has planned. You see, when we begin to understand those two attributes, when we begin to hold on to them in faith and knowledge, when we know more about God and know God more, we are able to come to an understanding that says basically this. Because God is in control, everything is accomplishing His good plan for us. That's what signs declares. But it's also what God's word declares. And we come to understand that truth by two foundational theological realities that underpin that truth. Don't get caught up in those words. But simply this. That because God is sovereign, he is in control. Secondly, God works out his plans through providence. Now the first truth is this. As sovereign Lord, God is in control. That's the theme of the movie Signs, but it's also the theme of scripture. And you can read over and over and over again, and you will find that Scripture declares that God is sovereign, that God is the creator, that God is the sustainer, that God is the Lord, that God is the king of all of creation, of all of the universe. And then all of it, he is working out his purpose according to what he desires and what he knows is good and best. Now, again, that's found throughout Scripture. We don't have time this morning, not even close, to be able to read all the passages that declare that. But, But just a couple of them. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4 says this. The Lord works out nearly everything. Right? No. The Lord works out everything. For his own ends, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. Isaiah 14 and verse 24, in fact, it's one of the major themes of the book of Isaiah, that God's in control. It says, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. And I, as I have purposed, so it will stand. Again, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 46.10, it says, I have made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. That seems pretty clear. In the passage we read this morning of Nebuchadnezzar, Following that time of judgment, following that seven periods, probably seven years of insanity, when he finally comes before God in repentance, he says these words His rule is everlasting and His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to Him. Now, notice it doesn't say all the people of the earth are nothing, this is a comparison. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. God is in control. God is working out his purposes. God is accomplishing his plan. And as we will see and as we sung, God's plan is glorious and good. But we begin by saying, God is in control. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me very uncomfortable. I do not like the idea of somebody working out their purpose and plan and having control of my I have enough trouble letting someone else take the wheel of a a car when I'm riding as a passenger, let alone taking the wheel of my life. And when they are driving, I have two questions. One is, do they have any idea what the heck they're doing? Are they a good driver? Do they know the rules of the road? Do they know how to get out of a tough situation? Do they know how to handle it if they, uh, up north? Down south, we never did this. Up north, do they know how to handle it when you go going to a spin? Ooh. Do they know how to handle it when the car starts hydroplaning? Can they handle it? And the second question is this. While they're driving, are they going to do what's best and good? Are they paying attention? Do they even care? And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered the more I get to know a person, the more I get to know their attitudes and their character, the more I'm able to trust them and relax while they're driving and even go to sleep. You know, the same thing is true about God. It's scary to think that God is in control of my life until I know whether or not he can handle it, and I know whether or not what he's doing is good and right. You see, when I come to understand the attributes of God, I'm able to see and understand that all is certain. All will be accomplished. He can bring it about because of his infinite attributes. A couple weeks ago, Gene spoke about the allnesses of God. That he is all present. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. We could even use the word infinite. There is no end to it. That God is Infinite in his presence, everywhere. God knows always exactly what is going on because the fullness of his presence, all is there in that situation. We talked about his infinite wisdom, his omniscience, that God knows everything, both actual and potential, from beginning to end. We spoke about the fact that that God is omnipotent, infinitely powerful. He can do whatever he desires to do because he has the power, he has the ability, he has the strength to accomplish it. God is capable. And if you want to bring it back to our car illustration, God is capable to handle the wheel of the universe. He's a good driver. He knows what he's doing. But I still have my second question. He might know what he's doing, but is he a, you know, one of those guys that are stock car racer out on the highway? Is he good? And that leads us to the second reality. You see, when I begin to understand God's character, his person, not just his ability, but who he is, I understand that all will be glorious because of his ultimate purpose. Now, God's ultimate purpose in doing everything that he does is that he might bring himself glory. And I don't know about you, but that surely sounds awfully arrogant. It sounds megalomania. It sounds like a megalomania. Maniac, whatever. It doesn't sound good. We say, but that just seems wrong. Until we understand what it means for God, to do all things for his glory. The very last message of this series, we're going to deal with the glory of God, but let me give you a little foreshadow. The glory of God means this. It is God's desire to demonstrate the fullness of his attributes, his character, his person, and his perfection in all of creation at every moment. God desires to demonstrate the amazing reality of who he is and that one chorus we sang this morning where we talked about God is, you know, miracle worker, da, da 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 da, promise keeper and I don't remember all of them. But as we went down through that list, the idea is that God, when he chooses to give himself glory, desires to show all of that in our lives and in creation and in every moment. Over the next several weeks, if you can come, please do. We're gonna be talking about some of the most wonderful things about God. We're gonna talk about the fact that God is love, not just that God is loving, but he is love. He defines love. He is the very essence of love. We're gonna talk about the fact that God is good. Again, not just is a good person, But that he is the very essence of what it means. All that he does must be good. That he is merciful. That he is gracious. That he is kind. That he is long-suffering. That he is just. And I don't know about you, but when I think about all of who God is, I want that demonstrated in my life. I want to experience it in my life. At every moment. And in every situation. I want to know and realize the fullness of the God to whom I have a relationship. I want him to be glorified. And because God is good, not just acts good, but is good, there is something else that I know. There is a second person. I'm sorry, second purpose that God has in all that he does. And that is this, to bring about good for his children. Everything he does in our lives is working towards a good purpose. Many times beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to fully understand in the temporal and in the moment. But God's word is clear. All is working out for the good of his children. use the new century version here in Romans 8.28 where it says, we know that in everything God works for the good of those who love him. They're the people he called because that was his plan. Now I want to be very careful and we're going to say more about this in a little bit. I am not saying that everything that enters my life is good. There are things that enter my life that are evil, that are tragic, that are difficult, that are hard and sometimes beyond description. We cannot deny that. But God's word doesn't say everything that enters our lives is good. He says that God is taking everything and working out what he knows to be good with an eternal perspective that when we see it in its fullness we will give glory and honor and praise to God. And there are times we hold on to that only through tenacious faith when things around us don't seem to make sense. But when we come to understand that God is sovereign that he's working his purpose out we can rest and trust and we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But the one thing I begin to understand is I'm going to accept the premise of the movie signs. That because God is sovereign there is no such thing as lucky or unlucky. There is no such thing as happenstance or coincidence. All that enters my life is according to his purpose. Now, be careful. Don't try to figure out everything and what it means. This must mean this. This must mean that. Listen, most of the time we have no blooming idea. Seldom can we figure it out. But in faith, we can know God is working out a purpose. God is working out a plan. And so I can call it what it is. If it seems lucky, I understand it's not lucky. It's just that God is working in my life in a way that is easy to understand and accept. And if it seems unlucky, what that means, God is working in my life to accomplish his purpose in a way that is hard to understand and accept. But in everything, I can know this, that God is sovereign and there is a purpose and there is a reason and there is a plan, and there is a direction for everything God allows to enter into my life. But that brings me to the question, God, how do you do it? Because I'm going to be very, very honest, from down here, it doesn't look like things are in control. From a temporal perspective, it doesn't look like things are moving in a direction. From a finite position, it doesn't look like someone is working out their purposes. Well, In order to understand it, we need to understand the second aspect of the attributes this morning. And that is that God accomplishes his plan through providence. If you read some of the founding fathers and you read some of the writings from the 17th and 18th century, you'll often see the word providence capitalized. And it speaks about how God works out what he is accomplishing. And the first thing we have to understand is this. God usually works through natural or what is called secondary means. Now, we understand God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is working out his plan. And he is bringing it to an end. He is accomplishing a purpose. He is accomplishing good in everything that he does. And so, therefore, God is often called, and here's the term, the first mover or the first cause. Because it's his plan that's being worked out. But the fact is, usually, God works out his plan in the normal, natural things that take place in our lives. He works through our decisions. He works through weather patterns. He works through, you know, the sun rising and the sun setting. He works through the natural pattern and and, and events of earth and life, and that's called the second or secondary causes. And some way, God weaves all of those things together. God patterns all of those things together in a way that accomplishes his purpose. Now, sometimes God directly intervenes. Do you know what we call those? Miracles. And when you read through the scripture, you'll see where God directly intervenes. God directly intervened with creation. God said, and it was. God directly intervened with Abraham when in Sarah's words, I ain't no spring chicken anymore, that's my translation. Beyond childbearing age, she brings forth a child. God directly intervened when the Red Sea parted. And the people of Israel walked through it and closed up again. And the Egyptians didn't. God directly intervened during the earthly ministry of Jesus when Jesus did miracles. And in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that was the work of God directly intervening. God directly intervened when Peter was in prison and the people were praying and, my goodness, he got out. There are times that God directly intervenes. We call it miracles. They're historical and they're real. But they're also something else. They're very unusual and don't happen often. God usually works through the normal processes of our lives. And he puts them together in a way that when you see them step by step by step, you see God working out his purpose. I saw this over and over again in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. I saw God work in providential ways that I really wish I'd have written them all down. We we didn't, we were too busy. But over and over again, I saw God work through people's choices, through just the right timing, through just the right arrival, through nothing miraculous. He didn't intervene, didn't violate or break the laws of nature. It just happened. I remember when we had gathered six days or seven days after the storm, we were gathering together in the only house that had electricity of all the people that were still there after the storm. And we were talking about how are we going to to reach out to the community and how are we going to... to to care for people and how are we going to help people recover. And we were sitting at a dining room table, sitting around talking. I don't know how we're going to do this. How are we going to get the church ready to bring in teams? How are we going to do all this stuff? We just don't have the resources. And all of a sudden we heard right in the middle of the meeting. I got up and walked to the door. And there were two National Guard soldiers standing there. They said, listen, we're going around the neighborhood because we've just been assigned to this area to assist and to keep peace. And we were wondering, do you know anybody that could use some help to accomplish things that they need to do? It just so happened that for the next week, we had a squad of National Guard soldiers working in our church to get the church, to get it ready to bring in teams. I can tell you about how we were worried about how we were going to paint the the ceiling of the auditorium and it was damaged and it needed some work because we had team after team after team after team, sometimes 50, 75, 100 people staying in the auditorium, sleeping in order to, to work during the week. We had no breaks. And we began to wonder, how are we going to get this repaired? All of a sudden, we had one week. Nobody showed up except an entire team of painting contractors. About seven or eight guys who just happened to know and didn't need all the room in the auditorium to fix the ceiling. I've told you the story about my friend in Pascocian, Mississippi, who had this big, wonderful concert they were going to give for the community, but they were concerned about the weather, so they wanted to put up these kind of big campaign, kind of circus-like tents. They had no idea how to do that. He was sharing that with the teams that had gathered, and one of the guys says, uh, you don't have a problem. That's what I do for a living. just so happened. It just so happened. It just so happened. It just so happened. That's God's providence. Now, if I'm you, I'm thinking this. Great, Keith, but not everything is lollipops and rainbows. Sometimes the guys don't show up on time. Sometimes the tent doesn't get up well. Sometimes people don't show up right on time. What's God doing then? And that's why we need to admit this, that God's plan includes tragic and difficult situations. He weaves together both bright and dark threads to accomplish his pattern. Don't minimize this. Because if you've lived any length of time, you know that there is tragedy that enters people's lives. And beloved, it hurts and it's confusing and it's easily overwhelming. And we begin to say, God, what are you doing? What are you you doing when a child is sexually abused? Or a person is assaulted? Or the victim of crime? God, what are you doing, and this is one that I experienced, when the woman, a friend of ours, miscarries a baby on exactly the one-year anniversary of the death of her previous child? God, what are you doing when an apartment complex collapses and around 100 people are killed, many of them children? God, what are you doing when a pandemic strikes and millions are killed? In my own life, God, what are you doing? We thought we had that perfect contract on the house, and then it fell apart. And then we thought we had another contract on the house, and then that one started falling apart. And then, God, what are you doing? And in those times, often God doesn't answer specifically. But his answer is, Child, trust me. We understand that if you're a parent who has ever had a child who was seriously sick or seriously injured, you know what our father feels like. You know what it is like to lay over your child and hold them in place while the doctor takes a needle and places it into their body, causing all kinds of pain, either for an injection or starting an IV. And you're there saying, because I know that this great pain will create great results, I'm willing to allow the doctor to do this. Or you make your child go to physical therapy watching the grimaces of pain and hurt on their face each time they move and each time they try to do what the person tells them to do, knowing that it's going to hurt afterwards. And you allow it because you know that with great pain will come great results. If your child needs surgery, you allow a doctor to go in and mutilate their body, knowing that they will be suffering for a long time afterwards. And as the child is recovering, you see the look on their face, and the younger and more immature they are, the less they're able to understand and accept what is going on. But you know, because you see it all, because your perspective is so much greater that with the great pain comes incredible outcomes. I will never be able to fully explain why God allows these things. I must accept them with tenacious faith. But here's what my faith says. My God is good. My God is wise what I'm experiencing now, even though painful, is part of something beyond what I can possibly comprehend. And in the end, I will know it is good. Because my child walks. Because my child's alive. Because my child survived. And grew and developed. Now the problem is that when it comes to God's providence, we often see it looking backwards. (coughs) Seldom seeing what's coming. But God is being loving and God is being good. But still the question becomes, why does he even allow it? And I don't have all the reasons, but I can give you this. One of the reasons is because God's plan includes the free choices of people. All of sin and suffering is a result of the fact that in God's plan, he allowed people to have free choice. And when you allow free will, that means they can choose, they can act, and listen to the third one, they can effect the world that is around them. In order for us not to be robots, in order for us to express the image of God, God has free choice and will. He allows us, in a limited sense, to have free choice and will in order that we might truly love Him, in order that we might truly obey Him, in order that we might truly relate to Him, not as robots, but as people. But in His plan and in His purpose. He allows people to make choices that are in opposition to his will and his character. Now, it's not a satisfying explanation. It isn't for me. But it is part of one. And in an amazing way, we will never fully understand, God takes the free choices of people, not violating them, but directing and guiding them in such a way that they will ultimately accomplish the good for us and the glory for God. God is sovereign, and he works it all out through his providence. Now, In the movie, the wife says to her husband, See. See. And as the movie goes along, and as all of these events begin to take place, one right after another, at the end of the movie, both the viewer and the former pastor come to a place where they see They see that nothing is coincidence, that all had a purpose, that all had a plan, that all was working out for good. And all of us, as we watch the movie, come to a place where we see. But in real life, when we're facing struggle and difficulty, when we're facing tragedy and evil, it's hard to see. One writer called it providential amnesia. We forget that God is in control. But in those events, in the ups and downs of a contract on the house, in the ups and downs of trying to build an in-law suite, in the ups and downs of you know, health and wealth and all the things that are a part of our lives, the ups and downs of relationship, God says do you see? And the question becomes, how do we see? How do we see again? And one of the first places is, is get a hold of the idea of God being sovereign, accept it and grab onto it with, again, a tenacious faith, holding on that says, God, I may not understand. I have a finite, I have a temporal, I have a limited view. But God, I will trust that through all of this, you are working out your glory and good in ways that, though I don't understand now, one day I will. And in that day, I will glorify you and praise you. We're able to see again when we hold on to the truth that God truly is in control. But the problem with providence is that we don't see the outcome in the temporal, the now. We don't see it as we look forward. Often, we just see it as we look back and we see all the ways God put things together in order to bring about growth and maturity and development in our lives. He put it together in ways that have accomplished things we never could have imagined. He used the usual to, to bring about unusual events. And one of the ways we can see again is by looking and seeing and asking God to give us eyes to notice how he is working things out according to his purpose. To look for the hand of God, to see it's not just coincidence, to see it's not just chance, but it's God working in our lives. We see again when we share with one another when I lose sight, but you can share about how you are seeing again. And tell me how God is working in your life in the midst of your struggles. That's why those communion sharings are so good. Or small group. Or yes, even Facebook. When we hear of other people's stories and we see again when we lose sight and we're willing to go to others And allow them to tell their story, remind us of their story, and even to remind us that, yeah, God really is in control, even when we don't want to hear it. In the Heidelberg Catechism, in question number 28, there is an encouragement to look to see God's providence so that in the midst of a struggle and in the midst of the difficulty, we are able to, and this is what it says, in order that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with our view to the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that he is working out his good plan. So I end with one question. Can you see? Can you see? Father, thank you for the examples that are found in Scripture. Father, for the assurance and foundation that they give us. And Father, it is something we hold on to by faith. When the circumstances around us are beyond our understanding. Father, the ultimate example of one who suffered difficulty, pain in order to accomplish that which was even greater, was the second person of the Godhood. When God in Christ chose to come and die for us, and Hebrews reminds us it was for the good that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross. Father, with that example, may we be those who hold on in faith in the midst of difficult situations, that you are working out your sovereign plan in providence to accomplish what is good. Father, it begins with a relationship with you. We trust your Son as our Savior. And Father, it will continue through all of eternity when we will see everything in fullness. And until that day, keep us faithful. We ask it in the name of your Son. Amen.